Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with beans on toast. And we have a blast. It's uh, it's always great to catch up with Jay. And uh, we the, the last time we recorded, Jay guested on my hardcore listening podcast, um, and we recorded it in, in in my little bar in the garden. And we had a blast. So when he reached out to talk about his new record, and a lot of it was very much based around nostalgia, it just seemed like a really good idea to come and talk about growing up and records on this podcast. So uh, you're in for a real treat. Um, before we get on with the, the podcast, um, should do some thank yous. Um, big love to Scroobius Pip and uh, my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Mr. 76 for producing this podcast. Um, what else? I know what else. If this is your first time listening to Off The Beat and Track podcast, then um, when you finish listening to uh, my chat with Beans, then... I would suggest you have a look in the archives because I think you'll find there's a big stack of pod chats that um, you may well enjoy. Um, You can listen to me talking to the likes of Frank Turner, um, who's produced um, Beans' new album. You can also hear me chatting to artists such as Scroobius Pip, Mystery Jets, Deftones, Public Enemy... Spice Girls, Mel C, Maxine Peak, gosh, uh, the list goes on. Go and have a rummage because there's some fantastic chats with some really, really amazing creative people and uh, and you can listen to them all for free. Um, if you really enjoyed a podcast and you'd like to hear more, then you can also support Off The Beaten Track on Patreon. Um, each week I put up four uh, radio shows where there's lots of tunes and chat. Um, I also do bespoke video episodes and I don't know why I just said bespoke. I just put up some video episodes um, and also some unique uh, Patreon-only podcasts as well. Um, so you get bundles of stuff for your, your pennies over there and I think you can support the podcast from... Uh, as little as like a, a dollar a month. And uh, so you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Um, I think I'm done with the waffle bit now, so we can get on to the, uh, the pod gold. Um, it gives me great pleasure to, uh, to introduce this. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Beans on Toast. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Sitting opposite me via the means of Zoom this evening is Beans on Toast. Hello. Hello, Stu. How you doing? 
I'm good, thank you. Um, we are obviously recording this during lockdown. Uh, I'm still sitting at the bar at the end of my garden. The last time we saw each other, you was in the bar with us. Yeah. Um, having, a, having a beer, doing the Hardcore Listening podcast. And now here we are. I know, I know. How are you finding it all, Beans? Because, you know, uh, myself being a venue owner and, uh, and, and yourself being a, a gigging musician, the government and the situation has not been kind to us. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember a time in my life when the government or the situation were kind to me, so it doesn't surprise me <laughs> in the slightest. I didn't really sort of sort of expect much from them um, when it when it all happened. I mean, if I take out my kind of worries for the world and also my worries for my kind of friends and yeah, and the business that I love, my personal experience has has, has been good. It, it's ha- you know, I have a two year old daughter, so I've had to make it exciting and brilliant and keep her world is all that matters and keep her world big and I've also I mean as far as the future of music when I try when my mind sort of wanders down the sort of pondering how you know how dark the future looks I could sort of I, I keep myself excited by knowing that music isn't going anywhere you know whatever happens people will always listen to music and they'll always gather to do it and they'll always people will always make exciting music and sort of fire forward and there's you know something kind of wild west about what's about to happen um and obviously you know that's uh, and, and part of me is excited by that but like i said i have to take away all of the all of my worries and, and, and fears about it all but um yeah, I mean, like I said, my uh, I've found a lot of generosity online doing doing gigs online. I've, I've become a lot accustomed to talking to people via the means yeah. of my computer. Um, and I, I've done, I, to be honest, I've in that kind of period in between lockdowns, I actually got out and did quite a few gigs because there's mm. a period where you can play outside to six people as long as they're in you know, a socially distant bubble. And I think for a while it was like, there's not much music that you can get drunk to and listen to while you're sitting down. But I fit into that little niche. Yeah, so the phone, just, the phone just started <laughs> ringing and I got loads of gigs. I've played in like a sheep farm in Devon where everyone was like mowed into a circle and then like a pub garden in Bristol and uh, a, a botanical garden in Nottingham last weekend and stuff like that. So I had a... Um, I've sort of got back out there a little bit. And obviously now it looks like we're all retracting back into, you know, in, into our shells. And, you know, I guess my mum's going to get the Zoom quiz up and running again. <laughs> oh, man, we can't think about that. We can't think about going back to Zoom no, quizzes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it'll ever be what it, what it was. Um, and, you know, and I sort of make light of, of the situation because sometimes it's all, it's, it's all you can. Um but yeah, I mean, without going into too much detail, I've had a roller coaster of stuff, you know, with just even my house, I've had, I'm going to have to move and all stuff like that. But, you know, I've, I've found it weirdly inspiring, I've written a lot of music, um, which will, you know, no one wants to fucking hear <laughs> the songs I about instantly. I, I mean, the I gigs that, the gigs that I played, I got out there and I was like, I'm not, everybody's just got out of their house. I'm not going to go, I've got a song about being in your house. <laughs> and, <laughs> Check out my lockdown record. <laughs> yeah, and start singing all of the, well, I, the way I've kind of combated it this year is, I, I always release an album every year 
and I had so many songs about lockdown, which were good for me at the time. And I was a lot of them I was writing, recording, and releasing them because just because I could, really, from the comfort yeah. of my own home. I was, you know, and it was something to keep my head straight and kind of something to do as well. So I just kind of started releasing, writing, releasing. And I had like 10 songs about lockdown, five of which had been out. So I put them on an album and I had 10 songs written before all this shit went down. So I've recorded yeah. an album that has nothing to do with the pandemic. That is like yeah. a full band affair produced by Frank Turner, actually. I, I don't know when this is going out, but that's not public knowledge now, but I guess it will be when the podcast goes we can release this whenever you want us to release okay it, right? yeah, yeah well by now it's not new <laughs> news but it's still exciting news um yeah so i did a record with frank and that one was um i kind of went around to his and recorded a bunch of songs and then he he recorded the music over the top and also because there's so many musicians at home it was you know you could email someone a song and they'd do a whole brass part in a day yeah. and send it back because everyone's gagging for the work with nothing to do and wanting to be creative so we had like managed to create a, an amazing cast of musicians to make this record and again all the songs were written pre-pandemic so come album release day if you want to wallow in tw- 2020 I've got that record and if you want to <laughs> sack it off completely and talk about something completely different and because the records come out on my 40th birthday the um the first record is that i wrote is it's all about kind of memory lane and it's um it's sort of an almost autobiographical of my own life and it touches on school and music i used to listen to and village disco and that's why when i was almost writing the record i was thinking of your podcast and being like this yeah. is it's bloody exactly the same is i've written the album for the podcast and hence i got perfect. in touch perfect should we uh, should we dig in them yeah let's do it right jake song with the greatest ever intro granddaddy am180 I have been waiting for someone to say this. Good. <laughs> I also had it as my ringtone when you first time you could have a musical ringtone. It yeah. was I think I had it as my answer machine. Like if you if I wasn't there and you went to answer machine, you got ding 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 ding. And then I had it as my actual ringtone, which surely should make you sick and tired of it. Yeah. But still it's like I think then the reason I loved it so much is when it come out, it was, which is strange thinking back to this now, but I had the CD, the Under the Western Freeway album, but I knew nothing about the band. Like, absolutely. Mm. I knew they was from somewhere in California that wasn't San Francisco, and that yeah. was it. And, and I didn't know what they looked like, and it, was, it seems weird to think about that now, how sort of, they wasn't written about in the press at the time, so yeah. that was it. There was nowhere to go to find out who they were. I just had the music. And it was almost like that, because there was predominantly a guitar band, and I just didn't even know what was making that noise for the intro. Yeah. I now know it's a synthesizer, you know, but at the time I was just like, how do you even make a noise like that and make it sound so fucking cool as well? If you would have asked me now what that instrument was that made that noise, I would really have to think about that. This, I think because if you think of synthesizers as much as they can make any sound in the world, yeah. they still have a bit of a sound and there's something... I think Granddaddy had that amazing job of taking technology and making it sound really like 
natural and home ground. It was kind of that whole thing, wasn't it? It was like the computer in a desert, you know, and it was like... Software slum. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It was this sort of mirroring of, like, technology and the kind of the old ways. And uh, and certainly that intro just doesn't sound like, oh, it's a synthesizer. It's like, what the fuck is it? And and it's so catchy and and it just doesn't sound like, like anything else, I think. Perfect, perfect. Um, I'm always interested to ask uh, musicians the question about intros um, and the, the fact we live in a world now where uh, lots of popular music is uh, very much... Right, we start with a chorus now and you know we, we, we've got to get on these Spotify playlists and we want everyone shazamming straight away and it's like, you know, cut... You know, we don't know fat on these pop records anymore. How have you... How has that affected you as an artist over, you know, the, the time when you first started playing to, to how, how you approach songwriting now? And I'm not suggesting you're a, a, a shiny, you know, Swedish pop. No, I mean, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm gagging to get on a Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never I've never had one. And maybe it's because of my shit intros. Um <laughs> I don't know, I mean... You need to get a synthesizer that sounds a bit like a wonky guitar and you're yeah, in, mate. And then that's it, roll it. Fuck. I mean, I'm learning now. <laughs> uh, I'm, the intros for me, I mean, this, my kind of like musical ability is very low. And it's actually, and in my songwriting, what goes on in the music is, it's, it's nothing. I've, I've uh, you know, ultimately been writing the same song for sort of 15 years and the intro generally i'll use other musicians to make it sound a bit different from record to record yeah. more so now now i don't even turn up and just get other people to play on it but um the uh so intros are something that either it's like right let's just do a little thing before the words start or there isn't an intro but at the same time for me uh, you know to me it's all about the words and the first line is always the most important line of the song. And writing, sometimes if I, I can write a song, once I've got one line, if I get the first line, I, I, the rest of the song will just fall out of absolute thin air. It will just be like, I've got the song, and that can, a good enough first line, the song will write itself. It could just go from there. And then, okay. like, and it'll always say, other times, you know, you haven't got your first line, and you kind of halfway through the song, you're like, that's not the third verse, that's the first. And you rearrange it, and it's like, but I think the, so as much as I don't put any, you know, any thought whatsoever into intros, <laughs> I do put a, a, a bit of care and attention into, into the first thing that I say. Well, Okay, addendum to that question then. Um, what's the best uh, lyrical intro to a song? Wow. Uh, I mean, I, 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 had a, I didn't just make these things off the cuff when you sent me the questions. I thought no, long I and know, hard on I know. What's I know. the best? That we can a, come back to it. We yeah, can come back I can, to it. I can, I'll, I'll definitely come back to you on that. I mean, that is... I was one of the... I mean, most of these... Um, questions i really had to battle between a couple and the other one was um for best intro i like the doors um break on through again because it's yeah. not really an intro it just starts yeah. and then the words start um but it was also their first song on their first album ever and it was like what yeah. a way to introduce yourself as a band just yeah like, and it, i think it's followed by like my fire ever it's just like bang bang mm. so um and off the t- i think what's that what's the first line to Break on fruit. You know that I will be untrue. Is it? 
No, that's yeah. like my fire. That's like um, my fire. You know, the day become. You know, the day becomes the night. Night becomes the day, isn't it? Yeah, that's my favourite opening line. Even though I didn't know it off my off the top of my head, <laughs> and I think I got it wrong. <laughs> so, or someone's at home being like, "What the hell?" Did <laughs> someone knows it. We'll check it. Do you know what? I'm just thinking now. I- I'm going to throw one in. I'm going to throw one back at you. I'm going to go. I never thought it would happen with me and the girl from Clapham by Squeeze. Squeeze, from yeah, great. Like that's a belter of an opening lyric. Um, track two, Jay. What's the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? The Smurfs, uh, Mr. Pigeon, and <laughs> right. I. And like I said, I didn't. Uh, I didn't make these these choices lightly when you sent through yeah. the songs. And uh, I don't Never let it be said you was trying to be cool with your song choices. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I dug deep and, and uh, I, was, I had like, it's probably my earliest memory, but it's not really a memory. It's just a sort of like a feeling that I, that I, I remember having where I, was, I had it on cassette. I looked it up. I, was, I could only find like a thing on YouTube for it, and it said it came out in 1983, which I was probably like five when it, I was, you know, not in 1983, but I was probably about five when I had it on cassette. And it's a song... That I put on YouTube and my wife said, what the fuck is that? That must be the worst song I've ever heard. While I was having this real moment, I was like, oh, my word, the pigeon. And it, and it was like a children's song, but I remember it really, really tugged at my heartstrings. And, uh, in, you know, in a way that music has stayed with me for my whole life, um, had that sort of like that real... I don't know, just sort of, it's quite, it's, it's, I guess it's like a love song about pigeons coming home and it's sort of sad and sort of, you know, at the time it was, it was, it was beautiful. And it, my parents were probably listening to, you know, decent music. They definitely were. But I think there was something about, I don't know, it was a kid's song. I was a kid and I had it, I listened to it by myself. I think maybe that was the trick. Yeah. Was it the Smurfs or was it? Father Abrams and the Smurfs. Uh, when, I, when I looked it up, it's, it's down as the Smurfs Party. That was right. what the album was called, the Smurfs Party, and, uh, and the song's called Mr Pigeon. And I, could, I found it, like I said, for the first time since I was five years old on YouTube uh, and, and clicked on it. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's got that awful chipmunk voice thing going on. And, uh, but... I remember, you know, it probably is my oldest memory, with my little cassette player sitting there pressing play and just feeling love for the pigeon and so glad he got home. Was that the emotion, love? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, I was also real, like, I grew up in the 80s and my dad was a big country music fan. And from there we went, and he used to listen to some really soppy, like, I love you forever, forever in it, almost like sort of, sort of verging on like Christian country sort of like and really like um just no holds barred soppy as fuck and I loved all that like the other my other choice for this would have been Randy Travis a song called Forever and Ever which is yeah. just you know uh at, was yeah I know you know I'm a sucker for love songs you know my, my, a lot of my songs are just like no holds barred sort of pour your whole heart into it yeah so Big up the Smurfs. <laughs> Track three. Song that reminds you of your time at school. <laughs> like you said, I don't look cool at all doing these things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crisscross. Jump. That's a tune, mate. It is a massive tune. And um, I... 
you know, I, I came out of school listening to different music than I went into school. I think that time, it was probably like 92, 93. So I was like 11, 12 years old. And it was a weird phenomenon, certainly in Essex um, and probably the whole country, where it's like the biggest cultural phenomenon was gangster rap and neighbours and home and away. And, like, oven food. Like, that was the sort of, like... That was how I remember school, ultimately. And and none of them, like, weird... I mean, they don't go very well together. (laughs) Especially because a lot of the gangster rap at the time was proper fucking nasty stuff. And I really liked, you know, sort of all the... Ice Cube, Predator, and the sort of first Snoop Dogg album, and Wu-Tang, and all that. But it was like, really, my, as far as, like, I, I lent more towards the kind of nicer end, like Arrested Development, and then Crisscross because they were kids as well. Yeah. So it was like, it felt, I think, when I, by the time I come out of school, I'd kind of, um, all, like, given up on hip-hop, because I had this kind of, like, crisis of identity, almost. Whereas, like, I, I did go to school once with my trousers on backwards, which is how the crisscross kids used to dress. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I was desperate to be a rapper, ultimately. Sorry, school trousers. School trousers on backwards. And I think even my shirt. Oh, what a statement. Oh, so punk. True, true crisscross <laughs> fan. True crisscross fan. Um... <laughs> And it was like, back, back then it was like, if you liked, you didn't really like two genres of music, you either liked one or the other. So I think getting into hip hop was like, I switched off the country and got into hip hop. And then I was like, so desperate to be a rapper. I mean, I still remember the rap that I wrote at school where it's like, I steal your bitch and your hoe, take all your dog. You know, I was a fucking virgin. Like, I wasn't yeah. stealing any bitches or hoes. Singing about guns and all this shit. And it's like, Something doesn't, you know, there's... And by the time I come out of school, I was listening to, to very different music that I, I would, you know, that I could at least pull off performing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had, you know, I went into school with my trousers on backwards and I had... I hope you check the timetable because that would have been a massive error if it was a PE day. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Wait, you just got to roll with it. Put your PE kit on backwards as well. Show them, yeah. that, show them that you mean it. And I still, they was like, crisscross, they still wore all that shit baggy, which, you know, I'm nearly 40 now. I still do, still kind of, still got a little <laughs> yeah. bit of crisscross in my heart. Um, but yeah, and I could probably, you know, give you half a, half a good verse from any crisscross tune as well. It's still in there somewhere. Yeah? Not that I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> so where, whereabouts in Essex was this, Jay? Notley High School in Braintree. Okay. okay. Uh, which is the kind of uh, the end of the train line. If you're going to come out on the kind of Shenfield line from Liverpool Street, um, it's the end of the train line. And it was, I grew up in a village just outside of Braintree. And um, it was, you know, it was kind of brilliant and kind of fucking normal as fuck. I think as a teenager, it was just, you know, escape it by any means necessary, which was, you know, smoking a lot of hash in the bushes yeah. before he went to school was the, the forms of escapism, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it is, I still got, still got love for Braintree. What did you want to, well, first of all, did you enjoy your time at school? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, it wasn't like, I knew at the time it wasn't the time of my life, you know, and it wasn't like people like, you know, these are the glory days, like, fuck that. I was quite keen to, to get on and get going, but I still, um, 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I did school plays and stuff like that, which uh, I had a... I've got a song on my new record, actually, about my drama teacher, who was a big inspiration to me. You know, I, I was quite a, like, quite a mouthy little git, to be honest. And Confident. Yeah, too much. Yeah, but I still am, ultimately. But, like, um, just... He was he was a good teacher, and so, you know, I used to do, like I said, did the school plays, enjoyed them, and... Yeah, I mean, it was like, I used to kind of, we kind of used to fuck about. We got in, you know, I said we used to smoke a lot of gear, got in a bit of trouble for that. But never really, like, was always nice enough to not cause actual trouble, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It was generally sort of friendly to the teachers and whatnot. And, yeah, it was just kind of easy. Did you have any idea what you wanted to be? A rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought and, he was fucking about. You're being serious. Well. Yeah, but well, I think in I, in primary school I wanted to be Michael Jackson, right? And not like t- not like a version of. I didn't really understand how things work. So I was like, I'm going to be Michael Jackson, and then I wanted to be a rapper. And then by the end of school, we'd kind of started a band, and you know, we was listening to uh, Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and shit. And it was uh, like, so then, yeah, then I just wanted to. To play, to play in a band. But it wasn't like... Um, that also wasn't the kind of be-all and end-all, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like I was particularly driven for that. It's just that just made more sense to me than anything else. Was you super creative? Um, no. Just used to graffiti a lot, smoke a lot of weed. Is that creative? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. More, if I was to say, I keep on bringing it up, but like, what really does sort of, you know, hone in my days of secondary school was that was what it was. We was the stoner kids ultimately, yeah. like, and like, you know, we used to chop up plastic bottles and sellotape carrier bags to the bottom of them, and you know, do three or four lungs at nine a.m. before school started, <laughs> like, and then just go and just go and crack crack on with the day. Which God knows what would happen if I did one of them things now, you know, <laughs> or. Oh, how I would feel if I saw a thirteen-year-old, you know, like that. Do you know what? That's that. That that's the parent in you now, Jay. Like because I get that now. When I think of some of the the, the, the real daft shit I done growing up, and when I see young people doing it now, I just think, oh, unbelievable! I can't. I, why are they doing that? And I just think, what am I saying? Of course, I've done that and worse. Yeah, it's like, but it's just. I think as you just get older and like, and then yeah parenting changes it all you end up yeah you end up starting to kind of judge kids for enjoying themselves and being naughty i feel like if i i feel like even if it was a stranger i'd you know i'd go and have i'd be the guy that goes and has a word now like <laughs> what the hell you can't be doing to get rid of that start confiscating shit just like, no you can't do this but, oh amazing Good. I L L A T R I. 
What's the first record do you remember by him? This one, uh, again, I, mean, I put down Placebo, uh, with, uh, their first album, which self-titled Placebo, what it was called. Um, I definitely, my dad used to take me record shopping a lot. Um, he was, my dad is, both my mum and dad are from London, and they like moved out to Essex and they had a, my dad wanted me to have an association with, you know, the city, his city, London. So we used to come up a lot and we used to come to Tower Records when it was in Piccadilly Circus and one Piccadilly. My dad would get his records. And we so through as, as far back as I can remember, I'd go there and that's where I'd get all my hip hop CDs, you know, and I'd get all these imports and stuff like that. But and I think probably the first sort of record like that was The Simpsons Sing the Blues, but I didn't want two cartoons on my list. But yeah. um, Placebo was quite an important one because it was the first one that I bought from our price in Braintree, kind of without uh, sort of parental supervision, or I was just there by myself. And it was also when I was going through this kind of, I don't think I am a gangster um, yeah. sort of part of my life. And I, I bought the CD just off the back of the cover photo which is like the kid pulling his eyes down incredible photo and uh i was like oh sod it i'll just buy it and loved it and at the same time uh, my mate's older brother was listening to nirvana and stuff and this was all like quite late like kurt cobain was already dead if you know what i mean it was definitely yeah. wasn't nirvana first time around but it was it obviously sort of had slowly made its way out and 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 it I just, sort of a lot of it was a big change for me off that placebo album. I fell in love with that, and it became a lot more. It was just a lot more relatable, you know. It felt like it was a guy from the suburbs, and oh, before you know it, like I switched right in. You know, I ripped my jeans, painted my nails, grew my hair out, and I wasn't a rapper anymore. You know, I was like, I want to play guitar. So it's like it was quite a quite an important record in in the sort of purchasing, and it began my long relationship with Braintree Alprice that ended in tears. <laughs> well, well, I'm interested to know why that ended in tears, and, I, and, and we'll pick up in a minute, but um, there's two things I want to talk about there. And, and the first thing, like, just what a beautiful thing that is, to, to, that your dad wanted to retain that relationship you know, with the city and yourself by... By going record shopping with you, what you know, what a beautiful memory to have. That's, yeah. that's so cool. It was Tower Records and Brick Lane Bygles was the other thing. Oh, even better. Yeah. <laughs> as, if, he, if he was left to cook, he was like, "Well, we'll just drive and get some Bygles," you know, like, yeah. and it had dried. You know, it was an hour there, an hour back, and then we, you know, well, we're here. We might as well go to Tower Records. Like, it was open really late. Tower Records was open till like ten, eleven o'clock or something. Yeah, so. and. And that placebo record, um, I, I, I don't think generally gets the the acclaim it deserves. I think that record is amazing. Um, that just that when you think of those, just the the singles alone, you know, Teen Angst, uh, Nancy Boy, Thirty Six Degrees, like just belting singles. That's without like like um, Bionic. You know, Bionic yeah. is an amazing record. Like, yeah, there. That's a cracking record. That is. It really is. Yeah, and uh, and in English as well. I think that's that mm. was really important for me because a lot of the other bands that I then started listening to were all, you know, like grunge was was very much an, an American thing. And I actually went on to start a band where I sang in an American accent. You know, I had to have that beaten out of me. Um, but 
it, I think that was something that was that was important as well. That it yeah. was you know on par with all these sort of US bands, but it was yeah. very English and very yeah, very kind of like, like I said, it just felt like you could. I don't know, you could sing it in your bedroom and not feel like, you know, like it's a bit different singing along with Wu-Tang Clan in your bedroom and you just feel like yeah. you're a bit, it's two different worlds, almost, which is probably half the beauty of that as well. But I don't know, felt it represented me a little bit more. And Brian Malko just looked like a really cool rock star when he, you know, when, when Placebo burst through. You know, he just looked super cool. Like, yeah. And, you know, and as well, you know, and the world and the way the world has changed since then with, you know, people opening up to, you know, gender and whatnot was, uh, you know, I think he must have paved the path, you know, for a, a lot of people and certainly a lot of understanding, which is, you know, a great thing. Why did your relationship with our price end in tears? <laughs> because when we started making music, we didn't really like, I used to, we used to put our records in our price. We'd just make a few up and just put them in our price and just see if people could buy them and stuff like that. Oh, and, right, uh, not actually speak to uh, the manager. No, no, to go just put them in the them in, yeah. I mean, there's a few <laughs> things there. We ended up just hanging around our price. It was like the, one of the places in town, you know, you'd go to town on a Saturday, smoke some more lungs and just cause trouble outside our price. And I remember we, so there was something about, like, because they used, never used to have the CDs in the cases and we found yeah. a Janet Jackson album with the CD in. So there was, like, a big theft. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, we put our CDs in and I tried to, we bought a cassette. I had another, a, a splinter band, me and, me and another mate called the Animal Boys and we made this cassette and we put it in and then no one did anything. So a week later, I went in to try and buy it. And, uh, and I got barred. <laughs> and, uh, the guy was like, and the guy said, you tell these animal boys, they're never welcome in here. In fact, neither are you. And I was like, right, OK. I was like, it's this brilliant album. You check it out. You know, it's just, it was just trying to get people to hear the music. But I mean, that's even better than anyone buying it. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been. I mean, it would have been better if someone just tried to buy it and then they got a telling off from the bloody manager. Yeah. <laughs> <Look at that. laughs> True rebel music. So, you know, we're talking about high street record shops and that, and 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 uh, you're bringing it more up to to now. How how important have independent record shops been to for Beans on Toast? Um. <laughs> honestly, not very. Okay. Um, I mean, I you know, I, ha- I definitely have a great relationship with Banquet Records, um, mm-hmm. and I mean, my relationship with record shops goes um, about as far as if I go and do a gig in the record shop, then they can sell some records. Yeah, and and that is kind of, and that's not me knocking into you know they're great for for many reasons, and because I love record shopping, but for me personally. That's pretty much the only way I can shift any numbers in record yeah. shops is by turning up and signing them and, and sort of doing the do. Um, and so I do that from, from time to time. Um, but I sell most of the stuff like direct through my website. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and you know, and without, you know, again, speaking honestly, I, you know, it works better for me financially of if course, someone's buy it from my website than it does to go through the kind of big machine. And and even more now, like record shops uh, sort of insist on vinyl being shrink wrapped, which you know I, I 
when I sit at home and sell mine, I sign them all at home and I just end up with a bin full of fucking plastic. And it's like, yeah. how many am I, can I justify the few that I would sell in record shops against this big bag of shrink wrapped plastic? Or I yeah. just say, I won't get it shrink wrapped. And again, the ones that I have a sort of relationship with. But yeah, I mean, like I said, they work. And I guess that's why most of the sort of surviving record shops have a stage ultimately yeah, now, completely. you know, uh, because because things have changed. I mean, I would say it's weird because a lot of things with my music, uh, it, it, it's exactly how I feel about stuff. Like, I'm not really a, a vinyl listener. Like, I, you know, sort of have moved with the times. I find vinyl, I'm not very precious with things. So even yeah. if I've got a vinyl, I, like, put it out, and it gets trod on, it's broken, and it's like, oh, man, put it on, and it's scratchy, and then the needle's fucked, and it has to get sent off for another one. I have, I mean, sat in front of my record player now, but ultimately the record player is wired up to, you know, somewhere I can plug my phone in and, and yeah. listen to off Spotify, you know. And Does that cassette say Animal Boy is next to it? <laughs> Do you get thrown out? <laughs> I'd do anything to track down that cassette. That'd be on par with the Smurfs, as far as memory lane. I love the fact it was a splinter band as well. Love yeah. <laughs> All right, track five. The song that soundtracked your years clubbing. I mean, again, and I keep on saying this for everyone, but this was... Just to put it into perspective, um, as I said, I'm nearly 40. We're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And on Saturday night, I was at the Rock City in Nottingham at a fucking indie night. <laughs> you know, so there's been a few years, shall we say. Um, yeah. But um, the I went for Hey Ya by Outcast uh, for the specific reason that for a long time, well, three or four years, I ran an indie night in the West End called Frog. And it was like a thousand capacity live band played every Saturday. And it was like really busy. It was right at the time when, you know, guitar music was exploding and all the clubs in London were rammed. And it was like bang on the scene. It was an amazing time of my life. And but it was also the same sort of time when that thing about being able to like hip hop and indie wasn't such like a crazy idea to play a different, you know, for the for Baby Shambles to finish on stage and to play Hey Ya was completely normal. So much so that Hey I'm, Ya... I'm picturing you there with your ripped jeans, but wearing them backwards. <laughs> this is a bit, this is a bit, for, this is my 20s. I mean, let's say the spliffs have gone and the coke's going mad. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, but we had to, we had to put a ban on, uh, on Hey Ya because one night, at Frog, we had loads of DJs and it the way it worked was all on rotation. And the way it also worked that when people weren't DJing, we had this massive dressing room that used to be its kind of own party. So no one else was in the hall when they weren't DJing. So everybody used to come out, stick on Hey Ya. It got played six times in one night. And no one knew. I was like, and it was like, what's got someone pointed it out? I think a security guard was like, you guys just come out of that room hammered, put on the same song as the last guy. And uh, so it was, I, it, I can't say it was even particularly my favourite song, but it was just like when, when I was like, how do I sort of, you know, conjure up the, them sort of years and at Frog. And yeah, it was, uh, we had to put a ban on DJs playing it. But I still think it's fascinating because it was definitely an indie night. You know, it was like Block Party and Maccabees and the Cribs and stuff like that. But it wasn't weird to chuck 
a tune like that in. And, and I think that was... It was sort of early internet and it definitely turned into stuff, you know, now where you can't tell what people listen to by the way they look or anything like that. I think everybody, I don't even know if people say it when they're chatting each other up now today, like what type of music do you like? I think that was normally really defined you. And I think now everybody just kind of listens to everything, which is probably a good thing. You know, I certainly do. Um, yeah. You know, I listen to a, a, a much sort of wider range of music and it, and it is good, but um, that was felt like ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The beginning of it then, when it was just yeah. like, slam on a hip-hop tune at an indie night and go for it. I mean, as, as, a, as an, an indie club promoter of, you know, nearly 30 years... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very interested because you know, Frog was a, a big deal. You know, that was a that was a, a, a serious club night. Yeah, right. And, and to you know, to get them sort of numbers in in London, it's not easy. Like, how did that come about? It was um, when I moved. We moved to me and Dave, who was the, the drummer of the band that we grew up in Essex. We moved down to London for the band, basically. You know, we're going to go down and start the band, and it sort of fell apart. But we took our enthusiasm for the band. And when we got there, the first job I got was giving out flyers. Basically, I was like Flyer J for years. That's how everybody knew me. I'd fly a Camden Tube Station and the, for the Wag Club on Wardour Street and shit like that. And uh, the people that I knew, the people that I worked for, basically, they used to do Friday nights at the garage. And I just sort of, you know, went up the ranks from flyering and started running their nights at the garage and then did my own night at the garage. And that was Mean Fiddler back then. So, and they obviously owned the Astoria and I mean, for that, and because it just, again, it was like we had a massive group of friends. We just started doing stuff in Nambuka pub, me and Dave as well. So we had this like, you know, just good at throwing parties basically. And, uh, and, and we had, it was called Static, our night at the garage. And it was every Friday. And that went well. And there was a chap from the Mean Fiddler that basically took us under his wing and just sort of said, do you want a, a, a thousand capacity Saturday nightclub? And it was probably a bit big for us at the time. And then I randomly bumped into another guy from Braintree. 
who had also moved to London, a guy called Imran. And uh, he was then, he just started working for the NME. He was like a sort of, he's, he's a very big sort of music industry player now, but he just started working at the NME. And he was doing the new bands column. So he, we spoke and he was like, why don't I book the bands and you throw the party? And that was the, you know, the secret formula. And we had, I mean, if, you know, if the new band's editor, after doing the, the interview, says, will you play my club night in London, you know, next Saturday in London? Everybody said yes. I mean, we had Kaiser Chiefs, Maccabees, Florence and the Machine, you know, Jamie T. Every, you know, every band of the time came down. And we also, we saw, because the night was, got its, it got its kind of name for itself, it was a good gig for the bands. We sort of built it along the philosophy of whoever you are, you can come down and play at, at, at 1 a.m. as well. So it was a late gig. You know, you went on stage at 1. They had a, a gig on before a kick out. The club had started at 11. Band had gone at 1. And it was a full house, whether you was the Cribs or whether you was like a new band and it was first. So it was a good gig for anybody. And we built it like that. Like people aren't coming to watch your band. They're coming to party and then you get to entertain the masses, which is... A kind of, you know, as you, a kind of dream for everybody involved, really, um, and a very hard to cultivate. But it was just, it was the timing, you know. It was definitely, it was. We had the the, the and we, me and Dave, flyed it nonstop. You know, the way that we, yeah, I mean, it. There, there is there is timing, but you know, there, there's a key to it as well. You know, flying and well, we working went hard. To, do you know what I mean? I mean, whether it was working hard or just going to a different club every other night of the week, you know, that was the job that yeah. we'd found. It was either work in Eat Cafe or go out every night and uh, yeah. give out flyers when you're there. You know, and we was, you know, young and horny, to be honest. It was just, you know, out just trying to get laid and doing drugs and giving out flyers. And it was like, even, to be honest, even flyering on the street, I loved it. Like, I used to work in factories in Braintree and I come to London and I was like, just, you know, you get paid, I don't know how much it was, like 30, 40 quid for four hours work. And you could just, you just left your own device. You're talking to strangers. I just used to drink a bottle of fucking Frosty Jacks and just stand there like, ah! And then you'd, and because I was, I was good flyering, I just loved chatting to people. So I'd chat to yeah. them. And then I'd find that I'd go to the club afterwards and half the people in there, I'd got in. So I was like, oh, you're the flyer. That's why Jay the flyer guy. And I was like, I walked around the club like, like the Don, basically. Yeah. And so I got, the, I got the groove. And then when I started my own club, I knew how to walk around like I fucking owned the place because I've been doing it. <laughs> and this, oh, ti- this time I did. So, yeah, it was incredible times, man. Incredible times. Joe, I'm going to take you back to Essex. Uh, mm-hmm. Favourite song from an artist from your home county? From my hometown. Hometown, of course. Yeah, you yeah. own these bad boys. Yeah, yeah, the Prodigy, uh, Out of Space. And uh, they was always, like, they was a generation ahead ahead of ours. Um, so it, I didn't know them from being around town. They used to play, uh, um, there was a place called The Barn, which was like a legendary spot. And that was where I lived in Rain and Braintree. It was in between the two. And I, as a kid, I was always terrified of the place. Like we used to run past it on the walk home because there'd just be like mobs of people outside. And we just, and I used to go out with the owner's daughter um, so I went there once for like a 16th birthday party, but not knowing that it was like cultivating this, this rave scene. And then obviously when we was, you know, as Prodigy exploded, yeah, it didn't feel like I was in that scene at all. Um, but you know, as everybody learned to love the Prodigy and, and all the amazing things they did, it was, 
from coming from somewhere so boring to have such an exciting band from there and to be proud of it was, you know, was incredible. And yeah. I'm sure still is for people of Braintree. You know, what a yeah. shining light to be able to make music that's so worldwide and so, like, fucking badass. And, you know, I mean, they've got to be one of the greatest bands of, of the generation as far as, like, how they... How many people they... How many sort of musical divides they crossed and how many sort of minds and hearts they, they joined. I, th- I think, you know, pioneers of bringing the rave to the rock and the rock to the rave, you know, mm. like uh, who would have had it as a, you know, fundamentally electronic dance act headlining, you know, a rock festival. Yeah. And, and not blowing everybody else off the stage as well. Just being like, putting With on ease. The, be- yeah, the best show. And it's like, wow. You know, and if you, if you wasn't a fan before you would be afterwards, you know, like there's, yeah. the- cause I, like as, you know, as the years went on, I saw them at countless festivals and it was, you know, always like... And again, you just feel a kind of a weird pride. And it looked, you know, they looked and sounded nothing like Braintree. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Which it kind of says that you can do anything. You can, you know, you can be whoever you want to be and make whatever noise you want. If, you know... my my At college, my um, teachers... Uh, I think I said something about, oh, the, the band's kicking off. And he was like, I actually told Liam Howlett not to bother so you know crack on <laughs> i'm never gonna tell anybody to do that again so uh, do you know what it's, it's still um to this day that that my, my all-time favorite gig was v97 i believe when fat of the land had dropped yeah and they done the homecoming headline show and poison at that gig best live experience of my life i've and I'm never sh- seen go on i'm sure that v have never had a, a show like it since definitely not yeah definitely not like um i, I mean you know what, what, what the v festival went on to become was was far less exciting than, than than what it initially was when in you know the first couple of years because it fell perfectly with the kind of explosion of Britpop I think and you know seeing bands like Pulp and Blur and and stuff like that was really exciting because it was obviously for those that aren't aware I'm obviously from Essex as well like it was in our own back garden and that appealed and the uh, first V that I went to I went uh and it was the first festival experience I had was on the Monday after it had finished as a litter picker I never knew what a festival was. And I went and I was like, what the fuck? Who made this mess? And I was like, <laughs> I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back when it's open next year. And between now, I went to fucking Glastonbury and all sorts. But yeah, my first ever festival experience was clearing up after the fucking shit that everybody left at V. It's not a pretty sight. It wasn't then and it isn't now. No. Oh my God. Um, Jay, last track. And... Uh... You get to be DJ now. Uh, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Yeah, I figured the sort of best way to do this is to do an, a brand new song, basically. Mm. So uh, it's a guy called Brent Cobb, and the song is called "Keep Them on Their Toes" um, from an album that's not out, but it's got a couple of singles released from it, and uh, it's kind of, um, I guess, like Americana, but sort of like. Um, and the guy's a real deep south. I don't know. Let's not talk about the sort of 
worrying state that America seems to be in. But if you're looking for some American music that has a sort of positive message and a, and a nice angle, almost like a country singer doing bordering on protest music. Um, and he's the son of a, a very famous country producer. So the, the sound wise of it is perfect i would say and just it's my favorite sort of like new song of the moment so i figured if you're going to point anybody in the direction of music you might as well do it of something new rather than just rolling out another smurfs track <laughs> we, uh, we put together a spotify playlist to accompany the podcast mate so we'll uh, we'll put all of them on there right. and, the uh, smurfs one you... won't be on there but oh man is it not on spotify i don't think so i certainly could all i could find i mean try but i, I said i found it on youtube yeah uh, maybe if you just search the smurfs i might search father abraham's maybe it's under that <laughs> I don't want no remixes, though. No, mate, I won't. I won't. I'll adhere to the rules. Don't worry. Um, uh, and so as we... Oh, I don't even know if we are on, on our way out of the, the situation that we've, you know, we've been finding ourselves in for a while. Um, creatively, what's happening? You know, what, what's coming out? And personally, what are you looking forward to as well? Um, yeah, so as I sort of was banging on about at the start, we've got two albums out on the 1st of December... One's called The Unforeseeable Future, which is the lockdown record, and one's called Knee Deep in Nostalgia, which is the Frank Turner-produced uh, sort of full band record. I mean, I would obviously love to be touring the fuck out of them, but um, I'm not. Um, I'll be doing a live stream from here, from the comfort of my own house, next Sunday, but again, I don't know when this comes out, but Sunday the 4th of October, um, I'll be doing a live stream here, and then I'll do something on the day of release, which is also my 40th birthday. Um, ideally, something with people in the room and probably like a live stream ticket as well. Um, but who knows, you know, at the moment, there's no point kind of going down that road at all. You know, I think like as much as things are confusing, things can also be organised quite quickly. So there's no point planning a few months ahead for gigs. It's just Definitely. like, just, Definitely. you know, wait and see and do it with it within a week's time. But something will obviously happen around the, uh, um, around the release of the album. And as far as what I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to all this shit being over. Be- <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself, mate. Um, and so if people want to find out about these gigs that may well pop up at any given point, where's the best place to, uh, to, to follow you, Joe? It took me a long time to get at the top of the Google search when you Google beans on toast. There's a Are lot you of there? Sh- Are you yeah, there? I've been there for years now, but it oh, took a long time. Like, there's, <laughs> like, uh, you know, there was a lot of shit photos of the food and whatnot and, and recipes in the way, but now... I mean, I'll say that. Maybe it's just my personal search engine because I searched it every day, for, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, I believe, and if not, at least you'll be helping towards that. So just Google it. It'll all, it'll all come up. Wonderful. Um, mate, thanks so much for your time today. It's been an absolute blast. Always, always a treat, Stu. Thank you. Thanks, mate. There you go. Oh, I knew that was going to be fun. Um, it's always really nice as well if if, if the guest is uh, is from the same area as you because you've got kind of lots of similar reference points, you know, growing up and stuff. And yeah, and and obviously Beans is always, you know, great value for chat. And and yeah, it was a really lovely, 
lovely catch up and, and I hope you got as much joy out of listening to it as uh, as I did uh, recording it. Um, thanks ever so much for supporting the podcast. It really does mean a lot. It is a labour of love and uh, and as mentioned at the beginning, you know, there is also a, a Patreon page to accompany this. So if you like all the, the free chats that um, I'm, you know, I put out each week and, uh, and I'm trying to kind of give you lots of free chats at the moment, you know, trying to put out, you know, two, three podcasts a week at the moment and uh, and a big part of that is it's also kind of keeping my brain focused at the you know all uh, all the time that my my nightclub's shut um so yeah it's uh if if you you know you do want to support the podcast on patreon then you also get a a lot more content over there as well and and it really does help uh support this pod chat um you can find out about all of that at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com thanks once again to jay for giving up his time thanks to you lovely lot for listening supporting sharing retweeting and just generally being really sweet with um, everything I seem to be putting out. So uh, I can't thank you enough for that. Have a lovely week and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Love you. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code Beat 15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.